In late winter of 2007, I was waiting for my August draft date into the Israeli Defense Forces. I was 28, about to join the army with a bunch of 18-year-olds, and I knew it was going to be very hard for me. Not physically so much, but psychologically, mentally. I decided I should finally take a trip, a destination that never before had interested me, and yet all of a sudden, it became an obsession. I had to take it. I flew from Tel Aviv to Budapest, rented a car, and traveled to Poland. In the span of just a few gut-wrenching days, I visited five of the Nazi death camps. Alone, I walked through the abyss of that blood-drenched soil, the human embodiment of pure evil directed at the Jewish people. Why did I do this? Why take this trip then? I wanted to remember. I wanted to engrave these images in my mind to draw on them when, months later, I needed to remind myself what I was fighting for, what I was sacrificing for, why I had taken myself out of my comfortable American life to do something so foreign and join the Israeli army. Though I did not know it then, though I could not find the words to express it then, I was activating the Jewish imperative repeated so often in the Bible, one that is hardwired, engineered into the Jewish psyche, Zachor, remember. Welcome to Seeking Sinai the monthly podcast of Temple Sinai in Atlanta, where we explore the great spiritual questions of why. Last month, we were in conversation with Marissa Kaiser over the question, why Jewish parenting? This month, we changed the conversation to the arc of Jewish history as we explore the question, why remember? Our guest is Rabbi Sam Treif, who will help us guide through this provocative and painful subject. Welcome from wherever you are listening. I'm Rabbi Natan, Director of Adult Learning. I'm happy you're with us. So normally, as I've done with all rabbis, I would call you Rabbi Sam, like Rabbi Brad, Rabbi Ron, but that is really weird considering you're my spouse. If it's okay with you, I think I'll call you Sam. That's just fine. Anyways, it's great to have you on the podcast for the first time as we discuss a topic so crucial to Judaism. You and I have passionate conversations about Judaism all the time. We'll see how it translates to a podcast format. Let's see. Let's see. It's, I guess it's a, an occupational hazard of marrying a, a rabbi, having to do these together. Yeah, I, I didn't know when I signed up to be a rabbi that podcast was one of the things I was going to do, but looking forward to being here. It's a, it's, it's a brand new world. So first, a broad question on the issue of remembering and memory. There's a somewhat strange and frustrating etymology of the word to remember in Hebrew, zachor. It shares the identical root, as you know, as the word zachar, or male. In that way, it's similar to English, actually. After all, if you break down the word history, it's actually his story. Now, as a female rabbi, what's your take on Jewish memory? What's your first Jewish memory? I feel like I should already know the answer to this, so please, no one judge me for asking this. (laughs) So, honestly, my earliest memory in general, not even Jewish memory, is Jewish. My first thoughts that I can think of as a little girl are thoughts of doing Jewish things, because Judaism is so strong and it's so powerful. And... This isn't really your question, but I think about our preschoolers and how they all know Shabbat. They know that there's something set aside. They know that there's something powerful about the simple act of lighting candles and blessing challah. And I always am just amazed when I think about our youngest learners and how Judaism enriches their experience in such a powerful way. 
I can't imagine what Rafi's time at Sinai would be like without Hala, without Shabbat on Friday. Um, and those are some of my earliest memories as well, which is so cool, the way that we're linked together through the decades. So I'm also really trying to like think back through my Rolodex of images that come to my head as, as a young child. Another one of them is my brother's bris, right? And just the excitement of that day and family and friends and what was going to happen to him. So so many of my earliest memories are linked to Judaism. You actually remember that day when I... You know, it's hard to... Do I remember it or do I remember it because of the pictures? And I think that's similar with a lot of our Jewish memories and we think about remembering in history. Do we really remember it or do we remember things that people told us about it? So that's uh, that's exactly right. This idea of, of history versus memory. It's uh, There's a, a famous quote that says that actually in Judaism, uh, there is no history. After all, there's no word for history in the Hebrew language. We, we borrow the word uh, historia when we say history in Judaism. It says, the quote says that there's no history, there's only memory. Uh, what does this mean to you? Does it, do, do, does it matter? Is that an important distinction? Yeah, it's a really interesting question because I think often when we talk about history, we talk about facts and dates and numbers, but really history is defined by the way we remember it. How you remember something might actually be incredibly different than what actually happened. We remember history through our lens, what was done to us, what happened to us, what we saw with our own eyes. So to me, that's what there's no history, only memory really means. We have no way of really knowing exactly what happened. We only have our experiences and the way it was taught to us. Yeah, and just the 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 power of those memories when, you know, you mentioned Arsad Rafi, like the way that he comes home and talks about it. And then you'll ask uh, his teacher if this actually happened. And she's like, uh, not really, but like it's still like kind of ingrained in, in, in his mind. Yeah, we revise things. Yeah. And sorry, this is, might take us off track, but I also am just thinking about the Arab-Israeli conflict and how narratives really shape the way that you see history as well. Yeah, narratives uh, and and memory versus this idea of history uh, and uh, and facts. So we started off like a, a bit light talking about like Rafi talking about memories. Uh, now I want to go back to the way that I prefaced this whole conversation at the beginning, uh, that unfathomable crime uh, in human history, the Shoah, the Holocaust. Uh, we say in Hebrew, le'olam uh, lo'od, meaning never again, never forget. Uh, what does this mean to you? This is a really heartbreaking one for me, actually, because we say never again all the time as it relates to the Holocaust. And we say never again about tragic things that are going on in our world. We're thinking about Ukraine in particular in this moment of time. When we say never again, we meant not only to Jewish people, but never again should anyone, any innocent people, nation, endure pain and killing and suffering. And we find ourselves over and over again in a world where pain and murder exists all around us. Um, We have an obligation to this concept of never again because of what happened to our people. And I feel like we're kind of letting other people down as we as we look around. Um, I can't help but think about the events of this past week, the school shooting in Texas. After every shooting, we say never again. And again, it's happening. So how do we put meaning behind our words. I think that's something that you you and I talk about a lot. Words have meaning. Um, and these are really strong words that I feel really heartbroken that we're not living up to them. So for, for you, obviously, the, the memory of the Holocaust is very important, but, but you actually take it and you, you universalize uh, the idea that because, you know, we say in the story of Passover all the time, because you are strangers in the land of Egypt, you shall not oppress the stranger. For you, it really has that kind of resonance. 
Yeah, I think it's it's universalistic. I think it's also particularistic in a lot of ways, but I can't help but look at the news and feel, wow, we're really not living up to this commitment. Yeah. So um, a few weeks ago, uh, we had on, on the calendar these days that we call the Israeli high holidays. Uh, you know, Yom, Hazi- Yom HaShoah, Memorial Day for the Holocaust, Yom HaZikaron, Memorial Day for the soldiers, and Yom HaTzma'ut, uh, Independence Day. Uh, so I- I'm-, I'm wondering, now that we're doing this podcast on the Holocaust, our next one is together again for Israel. How do you see that connection between the Shoah, the Holocaust, and Israel? If you think about it, it's crazy that in the span of just a few years, two of the most monumental events in Jewish history, if not the two most monumental events uh, happened so close together. What's what's the nexus uh, be- between those two events? So I've been thinking about this a lot, actually. We went to that lunch with Ken Stein from the Israel Center um, a few weeks ago down at Sherith Israel. And he said something that really struck stuck with me, something that's been resonating. He says that if we're to say that the birth of Israel happened because of the Holocaust, we're like completely discrediting and throwing out the many years of work and dedication of the Zionist movement and of great Zionist thinkers who really worked to create a state because they felt passionate about Jewish culture and music and food and realize that our religion has so much to teach us and really even has rules as to how a nation can run um, and function. So... I think to think about this direct link, Israel to the Holocaust, is missing out on so much of what makes Israel what it is, such a vibrant place. Of course, we are profoundly grateful to have a homeland. It makes us feel safer in the world as Jews. But I think when we make this direct link and this direct correlation all the time, I think it can be damaging to people's identity to make their identity and their connection to Israel based upon tragedy and hardship and sadness. Israel is something that's beautiful and that we want to celebrate and not only think of it because of tragedy, now we have this, this state. Yeah, Israel was created not because of the Holocaust, but in spite exactly. of the Holocaust. The Zionist movement was happening for uh, for a long time be- before that. You mentioned um, the Arab-Israeli conflict before, and the idea of memory and narrative. This is something that's often like usurped or, or taken out from under us. Th- this idea of Israel that 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 so often the enemies of Israel will say that oh this is just a colonializing state that was created as uh, because of Western guilt after what they had done to the Jews in Europe and it discounts all of the history that came before that I think that's what you're referring to right exactly yeah exactly there's a lot more so um uh, Sam in, in in our years together I've um I've uh, I've schlepped you around uh, that is very the, true. I've slept around to many places. You don't places. even want to know the half of it. So I, I, I think you gave a sermon once on a trip that we took uh, together a few years ago, a trip that actually is very related to this idea of remembering. Uh, I persuaded you, some might say coerced, to take a trip to uh, Moldova and the Baltic states. Although you didn't plan for it to be a heritage or, or a Holocaust trip, it kind of morphed into that. Uh, what were your thoughts about it then, and, and, and has that changed? So to be candid, there's really not that much to do in Moldova or in Lithuania or Latvia. So you kind of find yourself inadvertently stumbling across memorials and markers and cemeteries. And it's hard to go there without seeing it as a Jewish graveyard in a lot of senses, a lot of sense. And 
Latvia, Riga has specific resonance to me because my grandma's family was from Riga, Latvia. And I always heard her say, Riga, Latvia, Riga, Latvia. And she would always tell the story, my grandma, of her family being burned on mattresses in Riga. So being there really kind of brought these stories alive and was really profound and meaningful for me. Um, I think it's interesting as, as, as Jews, we often don't plan for things to be about our history or our heritage. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves in the most unexpected places deep within Jewish history and Jewish experience. I think, uh, I mean, you, you mentioned, and I, I hate to refer to parts of Europe as a Jewish graveyard, but it, it's, it's hard to avoid that um, sometimes. Sometimes, uh, I think one day during our trip, we were uh, going to this castle uh, in the countryside of Lithuania, and it just seemed so kind of shallow and superficial when we were like walking under such hallowed ground, it's such tragic ground that, 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 that we needed to make this trip about something greater than just like hopping around for different tourist destinations. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, we've, we've established that remembering is crucial to Jewish identity. One might say we're uh, uh, obsessed with it. In fact, uh, um, Israel might be the only country in the world to have two official days of remembering, uh, two memorial days. One is, as I mentioned, Yom HaShoah, Holocaust Memorial Day, and the other is Yom HaZikaron, Israel's day of mourning for its fallen soldiers and victims of terrorism. Uh, What is with this obsession? You know, you have so much experience in Israel, being in Israel during those days. Why the two days? Why the obsession um, compared to every other country that can just have one day. So funny now that thinking about memories and history, I'm actually thinking of my earliest childhood memory might be the Israeli Day Parade in New York City on a big float, floating down, celebrating Yom Ha'atzma'ut, our Independence Day. So that just jogged that little memory for me. Some of you who've grown up in New York might know the parade that I'm talking about. It's kind of a big deal. Um, So why two days and not just one day. So much in Judaism is about living with the tension of sadness and joy. As Jews, we always find ourselves somewhere in between. Our story is that which is seeped with tragedy and bad things that have happened to us. And we can't celebrate the good times. We can't celebrate the birth of this beautiful state without remembering who died or in order for us to be free. Um, And it's interesting that like the United States hasn't adopted that model at all. We have Memorial Day and we have July 4th, but we don't have holidays one after the other. And I think, again, this just speaks to the intentionality of our religion, the beauty of our religion, the way that we think through things in a way that I don't necessarily know other that other groups or people not to diminish anyone else, but um, just the thoughtfulness, the intentionality, remembering what we lost in order to experience what we have. That uh, that makes me think about, about about how other cultures do mark these days, like how America marks Memorial Day. It's uh, in Judaism, we don't shy away from it. We 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 embrace the mourning, the 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 the, the sadness. The the psalmist says, uh, that though I, I I lay down in sadness, I will wake up with with happiness. Uh, we we like embrace, almost wallow in that sadness, whereas other nations like America, what's Memorial Day in America, right? It's a day of 
parades and barbecues and almost patriotism, but like that sadness of soldiers actually dying and their memory is not something that happens. Whereas in Israel, you have two days, just seven days apart, where like you really, really get in touch with that. Yeah. And I think that extreme sadness also helps us to feel the extreme joy in a different in a different way. If you have not been to Israel on Memorial Day or Yom HaShoah, it really, I encourage you to kind of just Google on YouTube what it looks like, what, what happens, right? And there's these sirens that take place and it's just such a profound image and experience. The whole world stops. You get out your car, no matter where you are, and you reflect and you pause and you remember. And we don't do that in American culture, like you said. That's not what Memorial Day is like for us. So to have that and to have that experience changes you and it changes the way that you see the world. Yeah, you um you talked about the the danger of focusing too much on on the Holocaust. Like if you only focus on the sadness, then what's the point of Judaism? What's the point of uh of Israel after all? Uh and and yet it seems like the Jewish people are kind of obsessed with the Holocaust, obsessed with the Shoah. There was a recent uh, Pew study a few years back. 73% of Jewish respondents said that remembering the Holocaust is an essential part of what being Jewish means to them. Now, what's interesting is not the number there, but it's in comparison to all the other numbers. Uh, leading an ethical and moral life got 69%. Being a part of Jewish community, only 28%. Caring about Israel, 43%. The Holocaust towered over them all. Do you, do you find that concerning? It's not concerning. If you were to ask me that question, if you were going to ask me the question, um, how do you define your Jewish identity or what's the most important part of being Jewish to you? The Holocaust simply wouldn't be on that list for me. It just is not the first thing that comes to mind. Um, I don't, I don't know what that, why, and I can Maybe because I've had so many incredible Jewish experiences that I don't dwell on it. It's a part of me. It'll always be a part of me. Like I said, my family was burned on mattresses in Riga. But I think that's really surprising. And I think that means as rabbis, as Jewish educators, we need to do a better job of teaching people what it means to be Jewish. It's just... For me, Israel is a much larger piece of me. The memories created there, the history there. Of course, it's all interchangeable. But I think, again, building our identity on tragedy is not setting us up for success. Building our identity on pride and future and culture. To me, that's what Jewish is being about. You can't forget about the bad. I'm not trying to say that, and I don't want that to be misunderstood. And I think remembering the Holocaust is incredibly profound. But how do we make our Judaism about other things? And I think that's our task as we look to this new generation of of Jews. Um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, after um, kind of like what you said, Israel embodies all of that, like what you just said, just in its choice of what its national anthem is, right? Uh, Hatikva, the hope. It easily could have been a, a dirge or a lamentation to the many episodes in Jewish history, and yet it's always about hope. It's always about looking forward, that even as we remember, we still have to look forward always. Yeah, and as I'm listening to you say that, if you have been to Yad Vashem, you might remember when you kind of, and you walk through the whole museum. Yad Vashem is the Holocaust memorial in Israel and Jerusalem. The beautiful 
and heart-wrenching museum, when you get to the end of all the exhibits, of all the tragedy, of all the death and sadness, you look out and what do you see? It's this beautiful image of Israel, of the mountains, of hope, of future, and of peace. And I think that's what we stand for. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. A- anyone who's been to Yad Vashem uh, can immediately resonate with what you just said and think about that. Like it's this cavernous structure. There's no like way to get from A to B except by going through all the different labyrinths and all the different memorials. And it, it's gut wrenching, utterly uh, soul crushing. And then you kind of reach this point at the, at the end where you're like, oh. We're we're in Israel now. And we're free. Is, we're, we're 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 free. To be a free people in our country, uh, that is the enduring lesson of Jewish history and uh, and and what Zionism was meant to be. Absolutely. And uh, again, I'm kind of obsessed with this part of the museum. That whole museum was created with such intentionality. It was created to make you feel as though you're suffocated and that you're trapped. Um, and I think that relates to the larger theme of today. You have to. In order to really understand freedom, you have to also know what it means to be enslaved. Amen. Uh, Sam, thank you thank so you. much for uh, joining us, sharing your insights. We obviously spend so much time together talking together, and yet sometimes it seems we're so busy with logistics and scheduling our two kids that we don't have enough time for these topics that really, really matter. I'm uh, already excited for our next episode together in a few weeks, a topic that is near and dear to both of our hearts, the place where we met, the place central to the Jewish people, the place that we discussed at length even today, Israel. And of course, how could a Jewish podcast not end without words of gratitude to uh, Chaz Cloud, our AV guru here at Sinai? Thank you for your expert editing and publishing and to Beth Schaefer for the opening and closing music. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And for our listeners, wherever you are, thanks for tuning in to Seeking Sinai, the podcast of Temple Sinai Atlanta. If you have any questions about what we discussed today, please email myself or Rabbi Sam. There, I, I said it again, Rabbi Sam. There you go. As I mentioned, our next podcast episode will be Why Israel? with our return guest as we dive into the miracle of the modern state of Israel. If you have any burning questions between now and then, anything else you would like us to address, please let us know. Until then, Tzedchem de Shalom, go in peace. Thank you.